You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We are going to begin a new series today called The Need for the Supernatural. And uh, we'll be an introductory message today. We'll be covering it over the next few weeks. But uh, I'm going to unpack why we need the supernatural operating in our, in our lives as followers of Christ. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? We're going to start off with two scriptures. We're going to be reading from John chapter 14, verse 12, and then Acts chapter 10, verse 38. John 14 is Jesus speaking here. So let's read together. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And then Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is Peter. He is teaching at Cornelius' house. He's a Roman centurion. And not only is he talking about Jesus as the Son of God, he's also talking about how the supernatural happened through Jesus. Let's read. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now Holy Spirit, we cry out to you today and ask for your activity in our lives and through our lives. We thank you that you have been sent to continue the work that Jesus started. And so we pray that not only will our minds be filled with new perspectives on your activity, I pray that our hearts are open to receiving that activity. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're looking at this sermon series, one of the things that I think that needs to be stated up front is why a sermon series on the need for the supernatural. I'm going to share some insights and some thoughts on, in regard to this, but I know on a personal level the first time that I was affected by this. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and uh, my dad was a, a, an Assemblies of God Pentecostal preacher. And as you grow and develop in your, walk, uh, in, in your, in your life, you start to observe some things that you're, okay, that's all right. But then you start having questions about certain things. And, you know, it's not so much a question of criticism as it was questions of learning. Why this? Why that? Why does it have to look like that? Why is it expressed this way? And then you're trying to the best of your ability as a follower of Christ, read the Bible, and trying to measure what you're reading versus sometimes what you're seeing. It's not, it's not a criticism. It's just part of how we grow in our faith. And one of the things that I think all of us have is this. I've noticed that anything that I believed had, had an influence based on what other people were telling me. I mean, I couldn't say that I really had experienced the supernatural. I couldn't say that. I had observed people. I had watched. I had heard stories. But I could never give you something personal in my life about that. Well, when I was going through college... Uh, preparing to become a minister. After my junior year, uh, I had to do an internship. And so 
in about a nine-month span, I was supposed to do this internship, then do my senior year in college. We were going to be getting married and then starting a new position. So I was in this nine-month window when all that activity was going to start. Internship, last year of school, get married, start the new job. So how many know, you know, with that, with that kind of momentum, you're like, don't need any problems. So right two weeks into my internship, I got mono. I knew I was sick, but for some reason it just kept progressing to the point that I knew I needed to go get checked out, and so I did, and sure enough, they said I had mono. One of the things that was complicating the matter was my tonsils were uh, continuing to swell, and it was blocking off the back of my throat, and so they had told me that, you know, if this continues... Uh, you're going to have to come in to make it for us to have to check yourself in so that we can make sure you don't get other complications associated with this. And you're like, well, there goes my internship. Well, now how's that going to affect my graduation? And then, you know, if you can't graduate uh, and, and get a job, you know, that getting married is going to be an awful tough road at that point. You know, you're like, I need a job. And so you're just seeing like, wow, this massive curveball. So I remember it was a Sunday. I hadn't gone to church that morning, but for some reason that they were having Sunday night service, that night I was like, man, I need to go. And I really couldn't tell you why, I just, I didn't feel good, things were getting worse, but I just felt like I needed to go. So my wife, we were engaged at the time, called her, she came, picked me up, and we went to service, and I wanted to get there at the very last minute, I didn't want to talk to people, I didn't want to explain the situation, you know, I just wanted to pop in, we sat on the back row, nothing against anybody on the back row this morning, okay, just relax, you know, I just, you know, but it was, you know, it was a very strategic effort to not engage people, because I didn't feel well, and I just didn't want to, you know, try to explain what was going on, and what the update was, and why I'd already missed a few days, uh, you know, that my internship was on the bubble, whether it was even going to happen or not. And I remember sitting, I don't even know what the message was about. Just basically there. And toward the end of the service, they said, hey, let's, you know, everybody stand. And if you have a, a need for prayer, you know, come forward and we'll pray for you. And I, I would love to tell you this massive whelm of faith overwhelmed me. And I'll, I'll just tell you, this, this was my thought process. What have I got to lose? Now, how many know now? There's a guy who's in ministerial training that's got faith. Now, that's the kind of person we want becoming pastors. What have I got to lose? You know? So really, it was my mentality. I, I don't even think I said anything to her. I just think I stepped in the aisle and just went down. And I, I, you know, I didn't even like take an inventory of who was praying that day, that night. I was like, you know, I wasn't going, oh, they got more faith than that person. I'm going over here. I just was like, look, I feel lousy. I got nothing to lose. Will you pray for me? I'm sick. My whole internship is on the bubble and everything is just going to go sideways. I can't even tell you that I had faith that God was going to heal me. I don't know if I wanted healed or comfort. Have you ever, have you ever talked to somebody that the prayer was more about comfort than healing? Think about that the next time somebody prays for you. Like, I didn't hear any faith there. I heard a lot of, you're just comforting me. So I got prayed for, went back. She immediately took me, I didn't want to talk to nobody. So we just went out the door. Next morning I woke up, it was clear. And you know, have you ever stood in the mirror? You know, you're just like, maybe, I don't know. You know, your mind just starts, well, maybe I'm just over reading this and maybe maybe I wasn't as bad as I thought I was and you know must have been, must have been that good night's sleep 
Well, then I was reminded they just said, you know, this is going to take a couple months for you to get over. Hopefully we can have you back in shape to get to school. So I felt fine, hurried up and got an appointment, got my blood checked again because that's how they were checking it back then. And sure enough, I was clean. And it was the first time in my life that I went, hey, this stuff works. <laughs> now, I know you go, well, duh, then why were you going to ministerial school? If you'd... Well, I believe that it. it's just, it's, how many know, it's different when it happens to you. It's all of a sudden this perspective opens up like, wow, hey, yeah, it works. Hey, it's real. And I could tell you other stories that have happened in my life, but I'm at the, I know that no matter how good you are, no matter how selective you are in making right decisions and choices, you're going to come to impasses. You need the supernatural intervention of God. You're not going to be able to behave your way out of whatever is going on. You're not going to be able to personally resource whatever needs to happen. You're not going to be able to fix it. It will be beyond your resources in every capacity. And you're kind of like you're stuck. Unless God. And so I say that for this particular reason. Because I know that even mentioning this topic, there are people going, oh no. I hope pastor doesn't go really woo-woo and all this stuff. But here's, let me just share with you what's happened. So I've been in, I've been in the ministry now over... couple months couple gosh you know it's you know it's a long time when you can't even do the math off the top of your head so decades how's that but here's what I've noticed since I've been in the ministry as a whole this is my observation for decades American Christianity has been desupernaturalizing the Bible and the faith now I don't even know if that's a word desupernaturalizing. I didn't put it in the Webster's dictionary to see if I just made up a word or whatever, but that's the best description I can come up with. It has slowly been a progression of backing away from God's supernatural activity or even believing in it. Explaining away the things that we read in the Bible and just trying to whittle down just the, you know, let's just take it down to the basics of this. And so, get this, people serve a supernatural God that they don't think acts supernaturally anymore. I just want you to pause and think about that. That's a tragedy. We're, we're serving a supernatural God who's, cho that's people's, who's chosen not to be supernatural. Wow. That really, and of course that's going to have all sorts of implications on our faith because maybe what we see so much happening in our culture as American society, could it be the ills and the friction and the tension that we see that is happening inside of our culture is a result of saying, we'll, we'll abide by some of God's teachings, but we really don't think he can step in and change anything. Could it be that this is the result of not expecting a supernatural God to be supernatural? Because there's a lot of stuff in people's hearts that can't be won over with a conversation. God literally has to visit them. God literally has to touch their life. God literally has to show up to them. But if we don't buy into that, that means we're not praying that. And if we're not praying that, we know that faith moves the hands of God. 
Could it be some of our ills are a product of the church behaving in a non-supernatural fashion? Many Christians now, and I say this because this is a, this is a point I say as a warning to myself because I feel like there's this giant sucking motion that's trying to pull all of Christianity in this direction. Many Christians now believe that simply discipline is the key to the spiritual life. You'll hear phrases, I just need to be more committed. I just need to be more focused. I just need to learn more. I just need, and and notice everything is, they're shouldering the blame for everything. And it all comes down to, I don't have the discipline. And so that's why all this is happening in my life. If I was more disciplined, this stuff wouldn't be happening. And I'm not saying that we don't have skin in the game. But I also know that I read a Bible that God used imperfect people And he countered their imperfections a lot of times with his supernatural activity. I mean, let's look at Peter. I I don't think we could all say he got quite fully discipled by Jesus properly. (laughs) Given his outburst and his expressions in the Garden of Gethsemane and when Jesus was on trial. And then Jesus is executed and he's off hiding. And he actually goes back to fish. I don't think we could all say, yeah, he was a really solid disciple. But see, most people would say, yeah, but... Peter just needed more discipline, he needed more focus, he needed more commitment. Can I tell you what changed, Jesus, or changed Peter's life? Jesus showed up. It wasn't Peter getting more committed. Jesus showed up and talked with Peter. And that supernatural revelation shifted him in a way that discipline alone could not do. I'm not saying that Peter didn't have more discipline. I don't know about you. Jesus showing up has a way of helping our discipline. Okay, especially in Peter's day when you think that he's dead and he's gone. Showing up has a way of refocusing and helping. But again, it's supernatural activity. So now American Christians study the Bible for principles and they never learn how to pray or walk in faith. The Bible says in the spirit. And I'm, that's the sucking sound that I have pulling on me many times. I pull back and I go, I want to make sure I'm not a pastor who's just floating principles out there and not letting you be aware that those principles point to a living God who still does living things. That's my point. And I just say this, you got to know as a pastor, there is that pull, just stick with the principles. Just stick with the principles. And that's, there are great principles in there. But I'm going to show you something about Jesus, what he said about principle-oriented teachers. Probably some of you are going to be really surprised to hear what Jesus had to say about it. So let me give you an example of this, the book of Acts. Did you know that every chapter in the book of Acts, except chapter 17, contains an example or reference to supernatural revelatory communication from God to people? I just want you to soak that in a minute. Every chapter has an example or reference about God's supernatural revelatory communication talking to people. Man, you talk about having people look at you weird today and you say, yeah, I just felt like God spoke to me. You're like, oh, one of those people. Because we've all seen people who have abused those kinds of statements, right? 
And, but what happens is this. We marginalize and even totally dismiss the concept that God can even talk to people. So, this is the big fear that everybody has. That somehow believing in the supernatural doesn't necessarily equate that I have to be eccentric about it. But somehow we in the Christian world have said, oh boy, if they're supernatural, then there's something weird about them. They're going to have one foot on heaven and one foot on earth, or they're just going to be, odd. you know, you almost say supernatural and we almost think, okay, that means there's going to be odd behavior. No. You know what you notice in the Bible about the supernatural? None of it was scheduled. You notice that? Nobody had it on the calendar. Jesus didn't go, now guys, big day. We're feeding 5,000 people. Now, does anybody have anything that you can take? Because i got to have something to work with. Jesus didn't get up in the morning and go, hey, big day, you might want to eat a breakfast. Big breakfast. Because, see, we're going to be ministering, and then all of a sudden, Jer- I think Jairus' daughter is scheduled to die. And then while we're on the way, there's going to be this woman who's going to touch the hem of my garment, and then i got to stop, i got to have this long conversation, there's going to be people around. And then I have to wrap that up because i got to hurry up and get to Jairus' daughter, and she's going to be raised from the dead, and it's going to cause all kinds of commotion. A lot of people are going to be there. Boys, it's going to, this is a day you might forget to eat, so eat your breakfast. <laughs> nobody, nobody knew all that stuff was on the calendar. Nobody knew that that's what the day was going to hold. Nobody saw any of that activity come. I mean, you could go, if you look at the Bible, you notice none of the miracles were scheduled. None. And yet, opportunity presented itself. And miracles began to happen. So we're going to look at a couple. So to kind of set this message or the series up for today, I'm going to stick mainly with what Jesus has to say about the supernatural. Because this is what I find ironic. People who will dismiss the supernatural don't realize they have to dismiss the teachings of Christ. And then you're kind of going like, that's kind of weird. The guy that you are using as an authority, you are now dismissing certain things that he said, but you're using him as an authority while you're dismissing some of the things that he said. Is he really an authority if you are dismissing some of the things that he taught? That's kind of strange to me. So he may not be the Lord that you say he is in your life. It may be you have a negotiated Lord. As long as you fit in this box, Jesus, we're good. But if, you, if you're going to operate inside of that box, you, know, I'm, you just need to know I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you. If he's who he says he is as a God, and I'm who I am as a human being, I'm sure there has to be some discomfort along the way. And I never, I never find in the Bible it says because, I'm discomfort, uh, because I have discomfort, I can dismiss his teachings. In fact, it's just the opposite. Where I find discomfort tells me I may need to lean in a little more and find out what it is that I need to change. Maybe I need to be changing me rather than changing the teachings. Oh, yeah. Number one, everybody read it out loud. Knowing. Now, some of you just read that and went, What? Did our pastor just put up what I think he just put up? Are you kidding me? This is a Bible-believing church. Please tell me my pastor just didn't go woke. He did not. He's good. He's leaning into the Bible. But let me tell you something here. Look what Jesus said. 
You study, he's talking to the Pharisees who are the masters of Scripture. Interpretation, Bible application, what do you need? They are masters of the Scripture. What does he say? You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, because you've mastered the scripture, you think that qualifies you for eternal life. He says, these things are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Christianity is not an, ex, an academic exercise. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But somehow people will think that it's about academic knowledge. The more I know, the more spiritual I am. No, the more you know, it should help you develop a relationship with Christ. So Jesus was pointing out the fact that the scriptures point to him. Use the scriptures so that you can get to know him. And he said, knowing the scriptures is not enough. You can be at the pinnacle of knowing the scripture. And it's possible to still not know him. He said, these scriptures point to me. And you guys don't want anything to do with me. So here's the first thing about understanding the need for the supernatural. We're dealing with a living God. What we have to decide is this. If he's living, is he still doing? Jesus, or we were, the scripture tells us about our faith. Faith without works is what? God does not even violate his own word. If God is who he says he is, and he doesn't do works, he's dead. Most people have never thought of that when they take that position that somehow God's gone silent, and he doesn't do these things anymore. You're like, you know what you're saying? Because if, if my faith doesn't produce works, my faith is dead. You're telling me that a living God no longer does, then he's not who he says he is. You better be careful you, because even Jesus said produce fruit in keeping with repentance. My God's a living God and he's still producing fruit. Why? Because he's a living God. Some people have made God dead by how they interpret theology. That's all right, I'm enjoying what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, I know, I know I, may, I may be talking in ways that some of you are going, holy cow, he's going deep. Thank you. Yeah. I meant to. I meant to stretch you in your thinking and your understanding. Because like I said, there is a movement of de-supernaturalizing the scripture. Okay. We as followers of Christ have got to understand that skimming the Bible doesn't address that crisis. We have got to know why we believe what we believe. And we have to have the ability to tell other people who are being sucked in by that theology. Why do I still believe that God does these things? Because even his faith produces fruit. Number two, read it out loud. The supernatural... Knowing God intimately. So Jesus says this in John chapter 5. He is healing on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are having a fit. Because that's, even, the, even miracles is considered work. So he's not supposed to do that. Then he gives this answer, and I'm going to read it, in which he says that God is his father. If you go into the Greek, it actually means daddy. Well, the Pharisees really didn't like that. 
Don't you dare call such a, a, an almighty being your dad. So here's what Jesus says to them. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father, dad, is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So number one is this. We always know that God is at work, right? The question is, or the challenge is, we don't always know what he's doing. So a lot of times we need to start off with our prayer. God, I'm about to pray for something, and I am clueless about what you're doing. So the first thing I need you to do is show me enough as I pray or as with the Father. Help me to know what you're doing because I don't know, and I want to cooperate with you. He, then it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath by healing, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Because if he is God's son, and that's his dad, then he's putting himself on equal footing. They couldn't, they, that, was, that just could not, that could not stand. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. So here's this mentality that, again, we, I'm glad Jesus said that, because if I said this, some people would go, you're jumping off the bandwagon of the scriptures authoritative and you're compromising. Did you know that Jesus just couldn't do anything that he wanted? It says he had to see his father. Now here's the key. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. There's two things I want you to see inside the scripture. Number one, Jesus says, oh, you think this is awesome. Wait till you see what's coming. So that tells you this. Wait till, so Jesus is aware something bigger's coming. But catch this. He can only do what he sees his father doing. This is critical because familiarity with scripture causes us to have an interpretation that maybe is not there. Notice he does not say he can only do what he hears his father saying. It says he, he, he can only do what? What he... Jesus saw it. Folks, we're talking about dreams and visions here. Jesus didn't hear what God wanted. Jesus saw it. He knew God so well. He saw God's activity before it happened. But it was based on relationship. Now some of you go, well, how am I, what, what kind of relationship is that? Hang on. You have it in your life. I have it in my life. Let me show you. Sometimes my wife will give me a list to go to the grocery store. And as I'm going through the grocery store, I see other products that I think might enhance our living standard. <laughs> and so I'll go up the aisle. Now see, I know, I, know I've been, I have spent so much time with her, I know what she wants. And so I'll peruse the aisles and feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit to reach out. <laughs> And then I realize it's not the Holy Spirit because it's called forbidden fruit. She said not to buy that. She said to buy this. But I look at that. And I'll put my hand on that product and I hear her voice. <laughs> Greg. See, she didn't call me Pastor Greg at home. Greg, that's why I can't send you to the store. You just can't stick to the list. Listen, I know what I want. I've used these products. It gives me the outcome. 
Just stick to the list. What's so hard about that? You know, it shouldn't have been no more than this. And now you come back with all this. And what am I supposed to say? Baby, I think it's going to enhance our living, our living standard. I hear that whole conversation and all I've done is touch the product. And with all that activity running through my brain, I will take my hand off that product. Because I think, I don't want to do this. And I will resume my shopping pattern that she has assigned to me and get what she told me to do. And I am going to walk out of the store with exactly what she said to buy. And I'm going to go home, and this is what I'm going to hear. Baby, I didn't think you could resist that temptation. I'm so proud of you. How many aisles did you go down that you weren't supposed to? See, she knows me. She knows I just don't walk in. And, you know, I, I kind of like to check out the list. She knows. Now, here's the thing. We never had that conversation in actuality, but we know each other so well. We know what each other would say, and it's as if the conversation really happened. God says, I want you to know me like that. You just know. How do you know? If you knew him like I did, you just know. It, the Bible helps in that relationship. Okay? My, uh, when, when I was dating my wife in college, so this tells you how long ago this was, you know, it was either two forms of communication, a long-distance phone call in which they charged you by the minute. And when you're on a college budget, that's just not feasible. And so the second thing is you write a lot of letters. Right? Any letter writers out there? Let me see. The, okay, I know, I know how old you are. <laughs> and, um, you know, those letters helped me to stay engaged with who she was so that when I got in her presence, we could continue developing that relationship. I never once ever sat down with her and said, yeah, I don't think I want to meet with you this week. Just send me a letter. How many know that's not going to work? The whole idea of the letter was to prep for the presence. The letter was never designed to be a permanent substitute for being with her. Do you know there's Christians who have done that with the Bible? There's no personal presence in talking with Jesus. Jesus says, man, use my letter to get to know me. But in the end, I want you talking to me. That letter helps you to understand who I am, what I am, what I'm like, what I prefer, what I don't prefer, how I created you, how I have a plan for you. But please, don't just read the letters. Talk to me. God wants us to get to know him so well that we just know what he wants because we know him. In fact, if you go to, this is not a new concept. Back in Psalm 25, verse 14, David wrote this. David was considered a man after God's own heart. And look at this. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. God, he's saying here, God tells his secrets to people who know him. Wow. He confides. God says, when you talk to me, I'll tell you things. I want to talk to you just as much as you want to talk. And you say, I, I, I don't understand what that looks like. I, how do you know when it's God? And it's, Well, if you'll come back over the next few weeks, I'll explain it. How's that for a hook to get you back? <laughs> right? 
How do you know when it's God talking? How do you know when it's God giving you what we would call divine urges? Number three, read it out loud. Jesus expects... Jesus expects his followers to do even greater things than he did. So let's just pause a second. How many would agree that what Jesus did in action and in deed definitely had a supernatural element assigned to it? Only eight of you? I mean, feeding 5,000 with the kids' lunch, raising the dead, healing the sick, letting the blind see... Casting out demons out of people who were possessed. I could keep going on and on. And Jesus says this. He expects us to do even... If Jesus had to be supernatural in what he did, how am I supposed to do more than he did if I don't buy into the supernatural? Because I can't do that. I, I, it's a high bar if he just says to stay up with him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. I would have paused right there. That's a high bar. We're set. Instead, he says, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If he needed to be supernatural to do what he did, how am I supposed to do that if I'm going to stay in the natural all the time? I can't pull that. You can't pull off that. That's Jesus' teaching. Now, I'm not saying you go, well, what's the this is where you have to learn how to grow into your faith and know when I say grow, where it is taking you. you. You just can't swallow everything you need to know on the day you get saved. It's a journey. It's a relationship development. You know, it's like my wife. It's a bad idea to propose on the first date. <laughs> and some of you are going, well, it worked out for me, all right, I mean... I, I know, but the majority of us need to know what we're getting into. We needed to grow into the relationship. Number four, read it out loud. Jesus commanded his followers to seek the same dimension of the Holy Spirit that he had. So if he's going to call me not only to do what he did, and then even do more than he did, it makes sense why Jesus said, then you need to have what I have. And this is why he says in Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? Power from on high. This is, that's a whole different language than salvation. Right? He doesn't say clothed with salvation. He says clothed with power. Whoa. Well, then it's picked up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. He doesn't say you'll receive salvation. You'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? Jesus is saying this. I have a dimension of the Holy Spirit that has enabled me to be supernatural in who I am and what I do. And Jesus said, I just told you that you will do the same things and even greater. But you can't do that <laughs> if I don't help you out. So I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit because that's who's been helping me. If the Son of God, listen to me, if the Son of God needed the Holy Spirit to help him do what he did, how much more do you and I need that? Yeah. See, sometimes we get caught in the weeds on these arguments about whether I got everything that when I, when I got saved or not. I'm just saying, listen, there's no way you got everything. 
that you needed at salvation. Why? Because if you did, then you don't need to come to church anymore. You know why we're here? Because in spite of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we all still mess up. Yes, we know. We all do. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not perfect. We are being perfected. And so we all stay committed to the process. We all stay in the, in, in the develop and the journey of our faith. That's why we do what we do. So this takes me to my last point. Everybody read this. Jesus' power did not come from his deity. And I just know that some people just hit the pause button. Did our pastor just dismiss Jesus' deity to some degree? No, I didn't. Because I'm going to read the Bible to you. Now, we all know that Jesus was the son of God the day he was born, right? I mean, even the prophets, Simeon and the prophetess Anna, declared that this is the Messiah. This is the son of God. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. He was assigned the, the name Christ, the anointed one. Okay? So all the, isn't it interesting, as we move forward in Jesus' life, yet we don't read about any of the miracles that he did until he turned age 30. Wow. Why would the Son of God not be performing miracles if he's the Son of God? It, does, it doesn't make sense, right? So let me, let me walk you through. You go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is about 30 now. He goes into the wilderness, fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And here's what's interesting. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Wow, so he, when he went out, he did not have the power of the Holy Spirit. But yet he comes back and now he has the power of the Holy Spirit. This does not threaten his deity. Everybody with me? He is the Son of God. But now he has the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we go down to Luke chapter 4. Same text on down. He's in the synagogue and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Ah, Jesus for the first time says the Holy Spirit is now on me. He has for 30 years never said that. He has said I am the Son of God. I am the Anointed One. He has referred to his deity but now he's, he's, he's communicating the fact that there has been a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit now in his life that he is now ready to release who and what he is capable of doing now via the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me say it this, week, this way. Jesus did not refer to his deity as the vehicle for the miracles. He referred to the Holy Spirit coming into him and on him as the vehicle for the miracles. That, my friend, is a critical junction right there. That's why he told the disciples, don't go anywhere until you receive this because what I'm assigning you to go do does not flow just from having a relationship with Jesus. It flows from the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. 
I thought there would be better resonance in that. <laughs> Y'all got it? Okay, so. To show you that this was an embedded teaching of the church. See, right now I have totally stuck with everything that Jesus said. Everybody see that? The supernatural. I have stuck with Jesus, what he said about himself. Now we're going to see, so how did the apostles, did they adhere to that framework when communicating about Jesus' power? Did they refer to his deity for his power, or did they refer to the Holy Spirit as a source of his power? Everybody see me? So now we go to Acts chapter 10, which we read earlier. Verse 38. So now I'm going to slow it down. This is Peter talking to Cornelius' house. And he's describing not just who Jesus is in deity, but he's also describing how Jesus, is, how Jesus did what he did. Notice what he refers to as the source of what enabled Jesus to do what he did. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, everybody read with me, with the Let's stop. Do you see that? What was the source of Jesus' power? The Holy Spirit. Hey, he's the Son of God. He's got deity. What? Jesus says, you're absolutely right. My deity is that I'm sinless. And I'm the Son of God. And I qualify to be the sacrifice for your sins. But the demonstration of the ministry that you're seeing come from me, now that's another part of the Trinity. That's called the Holy Spirit. And notice this, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So notice he says there's the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice he says there's the power of the devil. I know that freaks people out. Oh, don't be giving them. I didn't say it. They did. I'm just telling you. See, see here's, here's how the desupernaturalization works. Avoid the scriptures that we taught today. Just don't address them. Just don't, just, and if you do read them, read them and move on. But don't unpack them. Notice how I slowed it down and said, pay attention to what you're reading and what it's being implied and how it's being said. That, that desupernaturalization mentality says, just read it and move on. I have a supernatural God, and I'm convinced he's not done being supernatural. I have a supernatural God, and I'm just not convinced that all of his greatest works are, are behind us. I think there's some really great works ahead of us. Why? Because he said we'll do even greater things. You say, well, what's that going to look? I don't know. See, that's why it takes faith and being committed and enjoy the journey and adding dimensions of Jesus in my life, like keep keep. Keep me moving from horizon to horizon, please. Keep me going. Don't let me become content like a Pharisee, like I know all I need to know. I'm a master at understanding the Bible and I can explain anything and everything. No, no, no. I'm sure there's more. Of... We may be able to master the scriptures, but I can tell you this. You'll never master his personality because unfolding who Jesus is in our life and in a relationship, that is ongoing. Because as God, he should be outside my boundaries of comprehension. If he fixes inside my comprehension, then he's probably not God. But if he's a supernatural God, then he's beyond my natural thinking. So here's how we're going to wrap up the service here.
just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to take a few minutes and then we're going to give opportunity for people to receive Christ. But I want us for a minute or two to say this to God. Unfold an opportunity this week for me to be a vessel of your supernatural activity in somebody's life. After the first service, I was in the lobby and I was greeting people and a lady came up to me and she said, I just got to tell you this story. And she said, if you think it fits and it encourages people, but she said, I was at a particular store. I was in a big rush. I went to the countertop. I made sure that they understood what I need. And she said, literally, the lady was having a, a total meltdown. And she just said, the lady looked at me and just said, I'm so sorry. This is a very hard day for me. And just let it out what was going on in a very short window of time. And she was there working at the store and she just broke. Lady, our church said, into the counter right now. And the lady just came down and she said, it's not by any mistake that you're talking to me. I'm gonna lay hands on you and I know we got an audience in the store, but I'm gonna lay hands on you and I'm praying for you right now. And the lady said, please do. And she just said, I just, I got to tell you with what you said this morning, you're right. It's never on the calendar. It's never scheduled. You never got the window. It's just, you just grab hold of the door that God opens. Can I tell you? God wants to use you this week. Everybody's about, well, I want the supernatural in for me. That's fine. But can we ask, first of all, that God would use you to be a supernatural vessel of his activity to somebody else? How about that? And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet at right now. And as they just continue to play the music, come on, for about 60 seconds, can you just lift your hands? And listen, I want us all to pray out loud. God, give me an opportunity to be a vessel of your supernatural activity. God, you can make me a divine appointment. You can make me a divine resource in somebody's life to, this week. Come on, ask God to use you.